So last week I began with kind of a broad overview introduction to the communion, the the service of communion, and uh, that service of communion begins uh, with the preface. We've gotten done with the exhortation. There was a, a hymn and an exhortation, and then it begins with what is considered the oldest part of the liturgy. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is meet and right so to do. And then the pastor continues with, it is truly meet, right, and salutary. And uh, then there is a proper preface that is stuck in the middle. And then it ends with the ascription of praise with angels and archangels with all the company of heaven and we sing the sanctus, holy, holy, holy. So that's pretty well the beginning of the communion itself. It's not quite done with uh, an introduction with the communion, but hopefully we'll get through it and get started on that preface even today. I showed you last time the great importance that Lutherans put on the sacrament, but I did it in terms of word and sacrament, that is, uh, we are not the Reformed churches that have the word and the sacrament, we are not the Roman church that has the sacrament and the word but word and sacrament. Um, So, as I, uh, from here on out, emphasize the sacrament itself, it's not to denigrate the word, just that's what we're looking at now. Uh, We saw that apology, Article 14, falsely are our churches accused of abolishing the Mass, where the Mass is retained among us, and celebrated with the highest reverence. We talked about reverence. We talked about devotion. Uh, Nearly all the usual ceremonies are also preserved, save the parts sung in Latin or interspersed here and there with German hymns, which have been added to teach the people. For ceremonies are needed to this end alone, that the alerted be taught what they need to know of Christ. And so we talked about how if something is important... It normally has a fixed form. You don't leave it up to uh, just possibilities. You make sure that there's an order and that it's going to happen every time. It's important. Uh, If there is a business and you are the last person to leave that day, there's a checklist. Did you check the doors? Did you check the temperature? Did you check the... This is, there's going to be a liturgy, there's going to be a form that we follow because it's important, as it says here, it teaches the people that people are accustomed to partake of the sacrament together, if any be fit for it. This also increases, there's the words, reverence and devotion of public worship. We take it, it's serious. The people are also advised concerning the dignity and use of the sacrament, uh, how important it is the Lord has instituted, how it might be used, how great a consolation it brings anxious consciences, uh, the forgiveness of sins, it's something we need, and it comforts us, it's a uh, comforting thing, that they may learn to believe God, to expect and ask of Him all that is good. In this connection, they are also instructed regarding other and false teachings on the sacrament. This worship, worship like this, pleases God, for such use of the sacrament nourishes true devotion toward God. Now, don't read over it too quickly. The Lord's Supper, the service of Holy Communion, uh, its primary, integral, most important part is the sacrament where we receive from God. He's put a promise with elements of bread and wine, and his promise is eat and drink this trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Granted. But when we teach that and tell people 
that's what this is, what happens? This kind of worship nourishes true devotion toward God. This is something we do. So when we are taught that we're receiving from Christ and he's giving us, we then, in our reception of this, have a true devotion. It does not appear, therefore, uh, that the Mass is more devoutly celebrated among our adversaries or than among us. It says, no, no, no. We, we do it with more devotion, not just because we bow three times and they bow twice. Yeah, no, no, no not, not something like that. But it, it's more devout because we do it in a way in which we know what it is that we are receiving. I was explaining to you uh, last time as we were uh, speaking, I was going through a little bit of what uh, uh, Reed and the Lutheran liturgy was, uh, was teaching about this, how when the, when the Reformation and Luther rediscovered the gospel, he said they also rediscovered the sacrament. Instead of it being, uh, instead of there being a service with no sermon and a and a sacrifice of the mass, in rediscovering the gospel, they said, "Wait a minute! The audible word of preaching. Now we have the visible word in the sacrament. Both are giving forgiveness." And all of a sudden we went, oh, no, no, this isn't a private thing the priest does all by himself. This is something that we teach the people that they might receive this gift. And so the Lord's Supper was put up uh, uh, high again. Well, here's where Reed goes on, and and, um, I don't know if this is the, the only way to look at it. Definitely not. But at least it begins to highlight what I was teaching you last time. So he's talking about Eucharistic faith and practice. Apostolic hands briefly sketch three types of Eucharistic thought in the Synoptics, Johannine, and Pauline accounts. Later liturgies and doctrinal formularies have stressed different approaches to an interpretation of the subject. Bishop Brilioth of Sweden, in an important contribution to the study of doctrinal liturgy, speaks of the Eucharist, the service of the Lord's Supper, as a jewel which shows endless changes of light and color as it is regarded from different angles. Though the light which it reflects is one and the same, he says, the Holy Presence, the mystery. Examining historically important beliefs and practices, he reveals their relation and pleads for a fuller, more harmonious expression of the true aspects of the great Christian sacrament in the wholeness of its many-sided glory. He enumerates five elements or aspects of the Eucharist found with varying emphasis and proportion in all the communities, and he lists those. We'll take a look at those. Thanksgiving, communion, fellowship, commemoration, sacrifice, and mystery. What I think this is just a good example. Lord's Supper is like a jewel that uh, uh, is precious and great. What is most important is the forgiveness of sins. That's what the words of institution tell us. They tell us that this is given for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so we are, are, are crazy about uh, emphasizing justification by grace through faith, that we're declared righteous because we believe in the forgiveness that Christ has won for us. That, that's, that's what we have. Um, that being said, Luther says, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Luther already realizes that it's, it's not forgiveness and push everything aside, but where the forgiveness of sins is, 
like a many-sided jewel, the more you look at it, the more other things that you begin to see. And with communion, that is is absolutely true. Now, granted, let's talk about the word. I preach the word. What do you preach? Well, pastor, he always preaches about Jesus. He always preaches about forgiveness of sins. Yes. But then, you know, even the 52 Sundays in this church here, you kind of go, well, well, yeah, this morning you're going to talk about circumcision, baptism, and, and before you talked about the incarnation and Jesus being born, and then you're going to talk about the resurrection, and then you're going to talk about the end times, and you're going to talk about, is that any less? No, that's the forgiveness, but multi, so it affects so many things. In Lord's Supper, you've got the same thing. In Lord's Supper, and Jesus giving us the forgiveness of sins, this is the highlight uh, uh, and the pinnacle of him giving us his body and blood and coming to us. What are some of these things as we look at Lord's Supper? What comes forth? The doctrines and teachings of the real presence of Christ, who is in Lord's Supper, coming before God himself, meeting meeting with him, um, the mystery of how the Lord can be with us in, in these ways. We'll talk about the death. Uh, you're going to proclaim the death. We'll talk about the resurrection, or without the resurrection, you, you don't have that. We're going to talk about, um, and, and just to give you one example, you know, most of the time, communion rails. You've got the altar. You've got a, a flat. You normally have a communion rail that goes like this, and it, and it stops. It hits the wall, and it comes around like this, and everybody comes around on this side and, and goes. Theologians again and again have said, when you go to Lord's Supper, we say, with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, what do we recognize? We're not, it's not just Heron. We're communing. We are showing our unity with those who have gone before us, your loved ones in the faith, who were communing with us on this side of the rail, Imagine that the rail goes on to the other side of heaven. And on the other side of heaven, grandma and grandpa, husband and wife, children you've lost, whatever, they're still with, they're joining with us in this heavenly liturgy. They're joining with us in a feast that we're, we're, we're doing here in faith. They're doing it there in sight. All right, so, uh, this, particular theologian says, hey, we can talk about, as we talk about this multifaceted jewel, we can talk about some other things that go with it. When we receive Lord's Supper, the idea of our thanksgiving, our giving thanks, uh, comes forward. It becomes the dominant note in much of the early church liturgy. Justin's apology, and that's we might get to that at some point, expressed the sacrament of the Eucharist and calls it the the Eucharist. Uh, AU, the EU is good. The Chorus is good graces. It simply means thanksgiving. They took that out of the liturgy, where it says, it is truly good, right, and, that, good, right, and salutary. We should at all times and all places, Eucharist. We ought to give thanks. And they said, yeah, we're going to call it the thanksgiving. Why? Because those who recognize the forgiveness since being given out, they come to give thanks. That is, how do you give thanks? You take it. You use it. You show your appreciation for the gift by coming to receive it. Um, there were lengthy uh, anaphoras, that is, prayers or whatever. Many liturgies testify of gladness of heart, the blessings of the nations of creation, thanksgiving. It was magnified in the early church, this sacrifice. It was big. It was big. The church saw this as a, a thanksgiving. That's one of the things. Number two, the Reformation greatly increased the frequency of communion by the people. And strengthen the ideas, this communion fellowship that is of the body of Christ. We began to look at this and say, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't some kind of work we give to God. 
this is this shows a unity, a communion. It shows a fellowship. It realizes in in receiving this the body of Christ. And then further than that, the communion of, of the Holy Christian Church uh, uh, of all time, uh, going uh, further, uh, that's two. Uh, number three, the idea of commemoration is satisfactorily represented in the Lutheran liturgy. Because of Lutheran fidelity to the church here, what happens? As we go through the church year, the different thing, we every every time we end up at the Lord's Supper. You kind of go, huh? You know, there's never been a time where I went, well, we were celebrating the Epiphany, and then you know we shouldn't have Lord's Supper on the day you have the Epiphany. That just shouldn't happen. You know, you never get to that point. It, it just always uh, um, this commemoration of our Lord and what He has done for us, always ends up in him giving this to us. Probably the only uh, celebration during out the church year where where the church kind of went for a while, believe it or not, was Good Friday. Do we have one supper on Good Friday? Yeah! Yeah! Um... And, and then they provided service for it. So anyway, you kind of have this commemoration. Um, note, the evangelists all record the Lord's Supper right in his place with Jesus doing it. But when you get to Paul's recording of the words of institution, how does Paul begin? On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took, he connects it with Christ's passion and, and death. So the commemoration of this is always put in its context. Context. Some of the early liturgies give an entire story of redemption. They expand upon it. We're going to see that with the proper preface, the one that is stuck in the middle of the preface, uh, that it will at least go through some of the historical accounts. Now, number four. Did I go past it? Oh, there's five. Number four. The idea of sacrifice. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. I want to be careful. Like I said, the Lord's, the Mass, the words of institution are not a sacrifice where we offer up Christ to the Heavenly Father anew. But as I mentioned, where there is the right understanding of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, our celebration of it, our receiving of it, becomes one of sacrifice. I can approach this in two ways. We can simply go to the words of institution and go, do you ever see the word sacrifice in the words of institution? Yeah. Do you ever see the word, you know, the priest giving up? Do you see this offering? No. None of what the Roman church teaches about that is found in the biblical accounts. You can't get it out of there. They have to, by analogy, go to the Old Testament and say, well, there were priests and there were sacraments, so we got to have it. And so then they smash it on top of it. But the other way is, and it's quite interesting, they will go back to early liturgies. They will go back to the Didache, which was probably written 60 A.D., although we don't have a copy of it till about 120 A.D. You've got other ones where you have Hippolytus and you have Cyprian and you have others. And almost all of them use the word sacrifice. But you got to read the whole context. I mean, they'll go back and go, well, they all talked about it as a sacrifice. They didn't talk about Lord's Supper. They talked about us coming to give thanks to God as a sacrifice. 
and within that, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. So, there, there was emphasis upon giving a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, uh, that kind of thing. Number five. Finally, mystery. Mystery. The word sacrament comes from the Latin sacramentum. Um, the idea with that is that I'm presenting to you a mystery. I don't know how bread and wine and Jesus gives us his body and blood. I don't know how that works. I don't know how applying water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I don't know how that works. I don't know how someone can be true God and true man at the same time. Kept in one place, I've only and yet he's not. I don't know. I confess it. It's a mystery. I don't know how the world was created in six days. Or how God still maintains it and preserves it. When we get to Lord's Supper, mystery is a convenient term which includes all the things which pass understanding. It's the manifestation of divinity and infinity which defy explanation and excite our wonder, awe, and reverence. Even the exact sciences recognize the factor of the unknown. Real scientists approach their study of the universe with reverent minds. The reverence which springs from a recognition of the majesty of the almighty, all-merciful God is never absent from true worship. One should not, however, think of mystery such as this apart from other elements, but rather as something present in all of them. It's something that we come to and go, I, I know I'm told to do this, I know that the church has been celebrating it, and there's always just a bit of, of a mystery here that I recognize God is present and, and what he's doing and how he's doing it, and um, that is always there. It's not simply a matter of two plus two is four. It's not simply a matter of dissecting all the parts and saying, here's what it is. When you put it all together you find that over 2,000 years, Christians have come to the Lord's Supper. They come to the service in a awe, in a wonderment, in a... You know, nobody says, ah, I did that last week. All done. I, 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 I got everything I need to know from that. It, it just doesn't happen. And so there is this and this is what I wanted to illustrate as we talk about the reverence and the devotion and the awe that comes with this. You see this, he describes it again as a jewel that, that has many facets uh, that goes with it. To try to illustrate, uh, I thought of this one later, but I'm one Sunday off. Or actually, I think it's, it's uh, Epiphany. The hymn, 241, we're on 240 this, this morning. I wish it was this morning. 241, though, is the one. It is an old medieval hymn called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. Uh, there's a couple places, Habakkuk, Zep, uh, Zechariah, where it talks about there was silence whenever you are, are encountered into mystery and something new. What do we find with this uh, uh, with this hymn? Let's see if I can get all uh, four stanzas. Let all mortal flesh, flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded. Keep that in your mind. Ponder nothing earthly-minded. For with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descended, comes our homage to demand. So, uh, this kind of... and. and and Isaiah was in the presence of God in heaven, and it said, and there was silence. <clears throat> or John, and there was silence before all of this. And this immediately goes on to, King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords, in human vesture 
in the body and the blood, he will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Now you see right there is how we know that. We know that as a fact, because that's what the Word says. And so we confess it. Right. But, but I don't understand it. And, and that, that my, my point is, is that it, it makes you go, yeah, this is different. This is... This is in the daily prayers yesterday. I've seen it 55. Yeah. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. And there, and and I would say that's also. I mean, this isn't the only place where, where that comes. I think you're exactly right. There are times when, um, you know, I mean, you can spend your, you know, something happens and you can complain about God, you know, and and but finally, when you realize, wait a minute, I, I'm, you know, I don't understand all this, and I, I got a God that's good, and I got one, that, and so then I go, well, you know, His ways aren't my ways. I I better take a step back and. You know, I better shut my mouth till I, till I get some understanding on this. And what a comfort there is in that, and what a thing to celebrate. I just, yes. I mean, yes. Um, you know, we want somebody who's way smarter than us. Yes. Taking care of things. <laughs> Mary. Um, it's a mystery to me why some people have a problem with. Uh, the body and blood or any of the other mysteries when they don't need an electrician certification to make use of plugging something in you can accept it as grace from God and make use of it the way he intended without understanding all the ins and outs of what's going on It mentions sciences, but but I, I think electricity. It doesn't it doesn't matter what it is. If yeah. you go a little bit further, I, I mean, I, I, I you know, yeah, I get the positive and negative. I, you know, I even get the electrons. No, I really don't get the. I don't really get this. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, is something going through this wire or not going through this wire? I mean, is it pushing? Is it first in, first out? How does this? I don't really get this. And so, you know, wherever you go. I, you know, I remember we were having our nerve problems, Karn and I, you know, we kind of went to the doctor, you know, and I started asking him some questions. And, and finally, he just stopped me. He says, we don't, we don't really know. know. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was doing the electrical impulses and he was checking this. He goes, we're just starting to get an idea. You know, I, we got some idea. We don't know. And, and I, I think that's probably true with, with the mystery. Um, uh, read at another place goes to uh, and talks about, and I thought this was fascinating as well. In the Holy Communion particularly, the church possesses something unique. Mohammedans and Jews worship God. Philosophers and the theorists of all kind preach and teach. Scientists promote education. Social and moral welfare agencies combat crime and foster an ethic culture an ethical culture. The state maintains institutions for the sick and helpful. Fraternal and altruistic societies develop religious and charitable activities. But none of them, however much they may quote from scripture, include the holy sacrament in their ritual. Instinctively, this is recognized and respected as a divine institution committed to the church and to the church alone. Why should not the church more generally appreciate and use this one divinely appointed means of grace, which is its own distinctive possession? All too frequently, it spends its energy upon activities which it shares with secular organizations, and then it neglects the one supreme spiritual and distinctive gift which God has entrusted to it and to it alone. I mean, that's the what we got, something that no one else has granted. It's not that we don't do other things. Yeah, I'm sure we have to pour whatever, but so do others. But that, that's that. And so that's what we see as we begin this uh, a communion. We see that we've got something that, that none of us, and this ought to be the thing that we speak about uh, in, our, in our devotion. To return to and just 
just briefly. Uh, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Lift up your hearts. As I mentioned before, this is one of the uh, most ancient of the parts of our liturgy that we can go back to uh, 120 A.D. and already see uh, that these parts are included uh, with the uh, with the early liturgies. Lift up your hearts. Can I make a comment about this? When the preacher says, lift up your hearts, what does that mean? This is really important. He's not saying, I hope you do this. He's saying, this is what's happening. Lift up your hearts. And how can we do that? We can't, but the word does. Lift up your heart, or the Lord be with you. And what do we pray then for for the preacher? And with thy spirit. Then he says, lift up your hearts. And what do we say? We lift them up. We're listening. We're paying attention. And I, I think that, I think that, in, 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 as we go through the liturgy, we, we, we get lost in it. It, it, we don't really realize what's going on. But the liturgy is all gospel. The Old Testament reading for today, the gospel, the gospel lesson for today is one or two verses. The Old Testament is about 25 verses. I don't remember how long it is right now, but that's it's okay. I'll read it to you anyway. <laughs> it's 20 or 25 verses long, and it's all gospel. And the the, the the liturgy is all gospel, whether whether we realize it or not. But we're asking God to come to us here, and He does. Because when God speaks to us, He's coming to us. When He comes to us in the sacraments, He's speaking to us. It, it all goes together. It's the other side of the definition of mystery that we just had. A mystery is something that's hidden, and God reveals it to us. That, that's the way the Greek word mystery is always used. It's something that's revealed. That's what we're doing. When did we do this salutation before? The Lord be with you and with your with thy spirit. What? Before prayers. Right before the prayers. What did we say about this? It was what? I want to say it's almost penitential, but I'm not sure it is. It's it's we're asking God to change our heart or keep our heart changed, whichever way we want to look at that. Well, we go back. Yeah, that's what I get back to—the lift up our hearts. I'm, how about the Lord be with you and with thy spirit? Oh, I'm sorry. I was what you're saying say? is that we don't want to hear your words; we want to hear God's words. Very good. Right. So, in other words, you've been called to do this. You've been ordained to do this. You're the Lord's man. I don't want to hear your words, Pastor. Um, do what you've been given to do. Give us the stuff from the Lord. So we're recognizing the pastor as the servant. How often in the New Testament do you hear that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he spoke? I think of, of John, right. the Apostle John, before the Revelation. He was in the Spirit of the Lord's day, meaning that he was preaching. Correct. Correct. So whenever this happens, and, and we said it started at the very beginning, after we had the introit, we came into church singing the psalms of the introit, we get up to the altar and we're getting ready to start service, and the pastor says, you want me to go ahead and do this? Are you ready? You, you, you know, uh, um, am I the called pastor and are you going to, you know, whatever I say, are you going to receive it from the Lord? But if I give you the Lord's say, Yes. And with thy spirit. So something new is starting. Pay attention. 
We've now gone past the word, and we've gotten to Lord's Supper. Open, open my ears and open your mouth. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so now, with this, you might say, uh, uh, if you've been dozing off, whoa, something's happening again. <laughs> and obviously, this is pretty important. Because we're beginning the Lord's, you know, it's the, it's the service of the sacrament. And so with this, just like the angels coming to uh, Mary, saying that the Lord is, is with her, she's got a purpose to do. So also we see with uh, Ruth and Boaz uh, that they recognize that he was the kinsman redeemer. He was going to buy back. He had to do his job uh, to do. Or uh, Paul to Timothy, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Uh, saying, you know, Timothy, you're a pastor, do your stuff. So that's the beginning. And so it directs our attention once again. It's somewhat of a mutual blessing. It's my blessing to you and your blessing to me and recognizing our relationship and we're beginning something. And then it goes to lift up your hearts. And the people say, we lift them up unto the Lord. Um... Pastor Rin says, this is really, really important. Yes. Why now? Lift up your... I guess we could have said it earlier, but we're saying it now because we're getting to... We're about ready to receive the most precious gift we can be given. Yes. Yes. Um, and so this lets us know of... And, but what does that mean? Lift up your hearts. Well, I was... He asked. <laughs> Realize where this gift is, and what this question. gift is, and where it's from. Yeah, so we have an understanding. Prepare to receive the gifts God's going to give you. Pay attention. <laughs> Would that actually be part of the thanksgiving and sacrifices? We're saying here, God, this is what we have to offer our heart, which is not... <laughs> no! That's a good point. This is not... You don't go, Oh, God, I get to give God my heart! That's not it. That's not it at all. It doesn't mean that. This isn't the sacrifice talk. Practically, life drags us down, weighs us down, our hearts are heavy, and we're saying, this isn't the time for that. Let it go. God, lift up my heart. I'm about to receive this precious gift. You have just heard law and gospel. You've heard the word. You've prayed. You've done it. It's time not to give God my heart. It's time to recognize what? All of that filth and stuff that happened this last week, it's <clears throat> forgiven. Forget it. No. What? Wait. Do I have a, a do, I, do I have a turkey in the oven? <laughs> no. Forget it. What about you know? But but I've been struggling this week for work. Forget it. Lift up. This is time when we say lift up your hearts. Though this world and the sin that is dry, all of the other stuff. What's the problem? Our hearts have been somewhere else. Our hearts have been looking down. This has been an earthly problem. It's now time to direct our eyes to heaven where we're going to receive the gifts. It's time to... Is, it, is that a penitential thing then? Or is it recognizing that we've been forgiven more so it's not really penitential or what? Let me go through it and then okay. you ask it again. Okay. <laughs> um, I did find... I was looking for these. I know they were there and I found them in books. This guy happened to put them together for me so I, I pulled it out. I borrowed it. Um, Sursum Corde, that's the um, our hearts, lift up our hearts. The first uh, explicit comments on this are in Cyprian and his comments. What does he say? Moreover, when we stand for prayer, most beloved brethren, we should be alert and intent on our petitions with a whole heart. Let every carnal and worldly thought depart. Let the mind dwell on nothing other than that alone for which it prays. Therefore, the priest also, before his heart, before, before his prayer, prepares the minds of the brethren by first uttering a preface, saying, Lift up your hearts, so that when the people respond, we lift them up to the Lord. They may be admonished that they should ponder on nothing other than the Lord. 
every carnal and worldly thought depart. And to Pastor Arun's point, you really can't do that on our own. No. (laughs) Right. But you've been prepared, I don't know, for 30 minutes of the word, where you've confessed your sins, you've received forgiveness, you've sung the hymns, you've heard the sermon on law and gospel, you've asked God to create in me... Exactly. And so at this point, you know, this is no place. We have, you know, we're on this journey and we have now got to the, you know, to the top of the mountain. This isn't time to uh, um, let your guard down. This isn't time to not pay attention. Um, You get up to the top and, and you better make sure, you know, this is like climbing the mountain. You better make sure you have your oxygen. You better make sure you're holding on. One misstep and you're gone. Well, you see, I think it's interesting you're here because what we're talking about is how weak we are. Because our best thoughts here are none too good. Because we never do any of this stuff. You better not steal my thunder. I'm watching you. Because, listen, I was just thinking about the apostles on the night that Christ was betrayed. where he's praying in the garden and they're asleep. At the top of the literal mount, and everybody's very worried, and all they can do is go to sleep, and that's, I feel that. I'm there. I'm that person. Cyprian uses the Sersum Court as an illustration of being alert, right, as we cast aside all carnal and worldly thoughts. Augustine of Hippo used the Sersum Court as a sermon illustration for many different topics. He used used it to teach the Christians to have a heavenly inheritance and that knowing this ought not cause us to lift up our minds in pride, but to lift them up to the Lord. Augustine also uses the Sersum Corte to discuss our peace in Christ. He says, what is peace? Listen to the apostle. He was talking about Christ. He is our peace who made both into one. So peace is Christ. Where did it go? He was crucified and buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. There you have where peace went. How am I to follow? Lift up your heart. Listen how you should follow. Every day you hear it briefly when you are told, lift up your heart. Think about it more deeply, and there you are following. And so finally, Augustine uses this Sersum Corde to speak of banishing worldly thoughts, lifting the heart to heaven where God is. One more. Uh, Cyril of Jerusalem used it as a summons into heaven. Calling, saying it called the faithful to concentrate in prayer and to heavenly mindedness. He says, Then the celibate cries, Lift up your hearts, for truly it is right in that most awful hour to have one's heart on high with God, not below, occupied with earth and the things of earth. In effect, then, the bishop commands everyone to banish worldly thoughts and work a day cares, to have their hearts in heaven with the good God, answering assenting, you answer, we have them lifted up to the Lord. Let no one present be so disposed that while his lips form the words, we have lifted up the up to the Lord, that in his mind his attention is engaged by worldly thoughts. The, the, the comment there, the last sentence, let no one present be disposed that while his lips form the words, we have them lifted up to the Lord. That's a passive verb. My favorite thing. Because who is lifting up our lips? God does that. As the hymn you talked about, let ponder nothing earthly minded. So, is it penitential? Well, Is it repentance? You know, really at this point, you know, it shouldn't be. It should be, you know, we've gotten to this point. You ready to lift up your hearts? Yes, we are with you in that matter. In reality, due to the way we are, yeah, of course it does. It it shows us where we kind of go, oh, yeah, but but it stirs me up again. Again, there's a difference between um, when I give a command to a Christian is when I give it to a non-Christian, right? The Christian goes, 
yeah, I haven't been doing that, but I sure want to. You know, that's in my heart. The spirit is willing. But the, but but we also know that the flesh is weak. But it's not it, it's not forgiveness either. It's no, just, no. It's, it's not penitent. It's not forgiveness. Yes. It's just kind of a reminder focus. Correct. Correct. It, it, it's 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 an exhorting us to do something which we want to do, and and it's kind of a, a of a, a, a encouragement. Um, I mean, that's what it's intended to be. But yeah, you know, if you're not there, okay, you you need to you know rouse yourself and go. Okay, I'm sorry, Lord. Now I'm ready. So the only reason we have trouble with this is because it says we offer them up to the Lord. Is that why we have trouble with <laughs> that? Part of it? Here's what I think. Go on to your sheet, your yellow sheet. Uh, Psalm 86. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Um, We chant it, we sing it, we do stuff with the Psalms all the time. Uh, Lamentation 341. Lift up, let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. But Colossians 3. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. How does Paul put that sentence together? He starts off with what? If then we are raised with Christ. If then you are raised with Christ, and in Greek the answer is, and you are... That verb tense pastor likes. Yes, it is. We all like. Get on with the subjunctive. That's the Greek. He's got the, the, exactly. So then we seek those things which are above. We seek heavenly things. We seek with that. But the point is, I I think, Eric, that's the thing. we got to keep going back to, we have to keep starting with the right, the beginning point is, wait, I'm a Christian. Wait, you know, uh, um, I don't, I don't, no, as a Christian, I lift up my heart. Um, you know, uh, when you're sitting there and you're thinking about the uh, uh, Super Bowl game that's that's coming up, you go, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm and I'm here in the man. I'm, I'm going to listen to the Lord today. Um, that's what we continue to exhort ourselves to doing. The problem is, is that uh, uh, it's it's not a matter of of let me give you some guides on how to make sure that you do this. You know, bow your head, uh, make sure that when you pray that your right thumb is over your left thumb. Yeah, it's not those. It's it's going back to the gospel. That that's what that's what allows us to lift up our hearts. See, when Paul writes that, if then you were raised with Christ. And you were. That's a continuing action verb. You you are always raised with Christ. Then he says, seek those things which are from above. That's a present tense, also a continuing action verb. Now, why do we have to keep doing that? Because we keep sinning. This is... This, 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 lift up your hearts is a is a continual call for us to call, call to bring up, to call for repentance. It's a call for repentance, not a call for us to do a good work. Except the call for repentance is in fact a good work. Yeah. Because without that, we do not receive forgiveness. The, the whole the whole thing is it's so tightly wound up it's it's gospel but our old human nature constantly wants me to say hey I'm doing something here when it's the Lord doing it all the time reverence adoration, joy, thanksgiving surge through these brief but lofty sentences. The strongly marked 
note of thanksgiving reminds us of our Savior's action when he took the bread and wine and gave thanks. Um, The preface gives us the key to one meaning of the sacrament, which refutes the medieval misconceptions, some modern ones as well. It teaches us that the Lord's Supper is a thanksgiving for the divine gifts of grace which flow to us from the sacrificial life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the thanksgiving part uh, that comes. Uh, Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is meet and right so to do. So we have the Lord. He took bread and gave thanks. Uh, He had a prayer of thanksgiving before the Lord's Supper. We don't know what the words were that he used. We know that that, that he did that. Uh, Paul refers to it in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, we've looked at this before, when Paul describes the cup with the terms of blessing. The cup of blessing which we bless. Um, when, when you say to someone, you know, will you bless the food? It's a, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. So this is a cup of thanksgiving. It's a cup of blessing, a cup of thanksgiving. And it says that that happens in connection with this communion. So let's give thanks unto the Lord our God. In other words, he's got a gift for us. Let's receive it with thanksgiving. It is meet and right so to do. All right. It's right to do this. It's... What, are the, what, is, what does that mean? It's right. Correct. Correct. Correct? As opposed to false? Wrong? Well, it's... Perfect. <laughs> That's your default, isn't it? <laughs> I like that. Well... Is what the new man just does. Because it's right. You know, because the Lord moves him to yeah I, I would I would agree that that's probably behind it absolutely um, well now I think if you define meat for us that yeah. would make a big difference so what's meat I mean if, if I take the meat out you know okay uh, <laughs> um, uh, you got married it's right to live together. What do I mean? It's right. Are you talking about man's standard versus God's standard? No. <laughs> I mean, before you get together, it's not right. <laughs> but it's proper. It's proper. It's appropriate. Um, it, you know, this is uh, the right. This this is the way it should be done. But what do we mean? It's me. thing that is meat is a thing that's appropriate or that falls in the place it should be. Right. And so right would be what God wants you to do. So God set it up, and now it would be appropriate. It would fit. Um, we're going to have Lord's Supper. Uh, we went to every Sunday communion. Mm-hmm. About three years after I got here. Um, talked about how important it was, and we said we're going to have Lord's Supper. Pastor, you've been saying it's important. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do it? I said, okay, let's do it. Great. Uh, whenever the people ask for it. So we went to every Sunday communion. Um, we went, well, we used to do it twice a month, and the ladies set it up. But now they're going to have to do it four times a month. And, uh, and, and so someone said, well, yeah, that's a little more work. You know, um, some congregations have little plastic cups, and and then you don't have to clean up. What what about that? And I was at a ladies' meeting, and I don't remember who brought that up. I don't think I did. Come on, <laughs> that was not my. But you know, I wanted every Sunday communion. I am telling you, the ladies were appalled. 
And they said to me, Pastor, that will be the last thing we will ever do. Because it's not appropriate to give out the Lord's body and blood in Dixie cups or plastic or whatever you want to talk about. No, no, no. You know, the best china is is no, you know, it's probably not good enough for our Lord. But it would about it being neat and right about how it's appropriate, that which fits. And so they said, absolutely not. We're not going to, this is the way we will do it. In this, we are talking about giving thanks unto the Lord by receiving this gift. It's the way the Lord has set it up. We're, the, we're a Christian congregation. It's appropriate that we do this. Rachel? In relation to God giving it, meat is also used as you are receiving your meat, which means your inheritance, your uh, the thing which is deserved. And in that sense, inheritance would be kind of a right way of saying it because it is something which is deserved by God giving you faith. It is something which is the most important thing being given to you in that sense. Yes. The pastor adds another one. It is truly meat, right, and salutary. From the Latin salus. It's good for you. Good for you. It's peace giving. What? It's peace giving. The Latin is saving. (laughs) It's, It's not just proper. It's not just, it, it, it's, it's, it's been set up, and it's appropriate, but this is not, this, doing this is also salutary. It has a saving. It's truly meat, right? And it has a saving effect that we should at all times and all places celebrate the Lord's Supper, giving thanks to the God who has provided this for us. That's recognizing what Jesus did, isn't it? Well, it's, it's more of recognizing, I mean, yes, what he did, but this is saying, this is a means of the grace of well, what he has given. Yeah, that's what I mean. Saving. Recognizing that in the sacrament, he did this. Yeah, this is means of grace. What's, <laughs> what happened on the cross is now being given out for us. It's salutary. It's saving. We, we ought to do this that we could receive salvation, saving thus, forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. We might receive uh, uh, these kind of things. Psalm 116, verse 13, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. To take up the cup of salvation is faith, is to receive the gift of what God is, uh, is giving. Uh, and then I will proclaim what he has done for me and what he has given me in this uh, this is the, uh, the the first part. We haven't gotten to uh, the proper prefaces. I include those on the back. We'll take a look at those next time. Uh, there's various numbers of those, and they kind of tie them into uh, the particulars of the church year. We are now in the Christmas season. With Christmas, you've got 12 days of Christmas. We're in the midst of that. We're on the uh, seventh. Tomorrow will be the, the eighth day. Uh, of, of Christmas, so we'll be using the Christmas one. If you want to take a look at the back, for in the mystery of the Word made flesh, thou hast given us a new revelation of thy glory, that seeing thee in the person of thy Son, we may be drawn to the love of those things which are not seen. It talks about the mystery of Jesus becoming man, uh, that God has revealed this to us, uh, that we see him when we see Jesus, you know, like Thomas will show us the Father, well, you've seen me, so now you know the love of the Father, and that this might draw us then, hearts lifted up to the love of those things, to heavenly things. All right. Or give him the good news while Sadie is playing the organ. Oh, Sadie's playing today. The organ. Leanne's gone. I have a new granddaughter, Louisa Ruth uh, Henson, and uh, she'll be baptized next Sunday. Congratulations. Very nice. Born on Thursday? Born on Thursday morning, 1 a.m. or something.
What's the date? I do have it in the bulletin upstairs. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have provided us with so many good and gracious gifts. Particularly, we thank you for the highest gift, the gift of your Son. And now we receive, in the means of grace, his body and blood for that forgiveness. Uh, Help us uh, that we who are your children might live as your children and lift up our hearts to receive this gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.